0: Today I'm chatting with Brother Shumbam Rita, one of Amma's closest disciples. How are you enjoying your stay in Ireland so far?
1: Oh, very much. You know, it's always been a pleasure visiting Ireland and uh, every year I look forward to this opportunity.
0: So you're a monk. What does that mean?
1: Well, it means a person who has dedicated his life to spirituality and service. So basically it's a life where we live as per spiritual ideals and uh, we try to also engage ourselves a lot into acts of service you know so it's not much living for yourself but it's much living for others living for the community living for the world
0: i'm curious like why did you decide to become a monk
1: to be very frank i had no such inclinations uh, especially in my younger years and um, all this changed after i met my master that is Amma. And uh, when I met her, you know, it was really a big eye opener for me. Because I never thought that a life dedicated to selfless service and spreading compassion is possible. I thought these are only things that you read in books. But when I saw her and I experienced her presence and uh, I saw what she was contributing to the world, that really changed a lot in me. And uh, I really thought that this is somebody whose whole life is an offering to humanity and she is happy, spreading happiness around, helping so many people. And uh, for me, this was a unique experience. It was the first time I was encountering somebody like that. That made me ponder a lot about, you know, about the realities of life. And... uh, it was not like I just jumped in immediately and said, I'm becoming a monk. I took my time. I've always been a bit analytical about you know everything, so I need to be convinced myself. So I took a lot of time just observing her, observing her actions, observing her life. I really wanted to see that all that she says, all that she preaches is there in her actions also. And I saw that it's more in action than in words. And uh, after a while, somehow there was this you know, the search in me that kind of also started, you know, wanting to know more about the realities of life. And, uh, you know, how can I really be happy? How can I really be peaceful in life? And somehow I found that this is something that is very close to, to my heart's calling, you know, of leading a life, which can also be of service to, to humanity. And, uh, as days passed, it grew more and more. And, uh, So finally, I expressed my desire to her, you know, if I could also be a part of the organization and dedicate myself to a life like this. Uh, She initially said that, uh, you know, I have to complete my studies. She said she wouldn't take me without that. So I had to wait for a few years till I completed. But uh, to put it in a crux, it was meeting Amma that changed my whole life. Just seeing what she was giving to the world to see somebody who has dedicated her whole life to suffering humanity and you know who is kind of you know a total offering to service that really changed the whole way i looked at life and it inspired me tremendously
0: can you tell me something about living life of a monk and what does it mean in a spiritual way
1: well uh, living life as a monk you know is little different from the life that we lead in the world one thing is in the world, you know, you just follow what your mind says. You know, what your mind asks you to do, you just do it, you know. But in, when you lead a life of a monk, you have to, you know, sometimes control yourself. You have to kind of, you know, think twice before you do anything. And you also have to kind of see that you're not just blindly going, you know, the way the mind is asking you to flow. It also is a life you know where you know simplicity is so important you know you lead a very simple life your needs are very you know kind of your needs are there but you know you try to kind of curtail it to the minimum so that you know you have everything but at the same time you don't have anything in excess and it's also a life where you know we have to spend time you know in in spiritual contemplation we have to spend time in our practices in our studies And also, you know, spend a lot of time in the field, you know, in helping others. So, yes, for a person from outside, you know, he may feel, oh my God, this is such an austere life. And, you know, these people may be really struggling to do that. But I I always feel it depends on, you know, your inclination towards it. If you really are charged up and if you really love it, you know, there is nothing more satisfying than this. And I really feel I'm, I'm so happy that I really took up this path, and uh, you know I'm more and more satisfied. And each and every day, I kind of thank God for this blessing in this lifetime.
0: What do you think is the difference between, say, like a Buddhist monk, a Christian monk, and, like, say, a monk with Amma? Well, uh,
1: you know, the goal is the same. You know, the goal is to to know who you are in reality. The goal is to you know to know to know your true nature as as God, you know to realize the divinity in you and to see the divinity in others as well. And the goal is also serving others. I don't think there is any difference in the ultimate goal, uh, but each path has its own tradition, so maybe the practices vary a little, you know as a Buddhist monk or as a Christian monk or as a Hindu monk. The practices may vary. And the kind of do's and don'ts, you know, may may be kind of different in a way that the way they are put is different. I think finally it is all, you know, coming to the same thing, but, you know, it may be put in a different way. But uh, I think for a true Buddhist monk, a true Christian monk and a true Hindu monk, the goal is just one. That is to to know who you are and to, to serve the world.
0: Amma is known as the hugging saint. Yeah. Can you tell me a little about her life and the work she does
1: Well uh, it's amazing to kind of uh, see you know and uh, read through what she has done for the world and to really read her life especially you know the challenges that she had to face in life she was born in a very ordinary fisherman community in in India and right from a young age she was very different know, she had a very deep absorption in God. And uh, right from a young age, her parents would notice that, you know, she would sit for hours together in silence, you know, contemplating, meditating. And uh, when she was three or four, she would compose her own songs to the divine and, you know, be singing them in solitude. And also as she started growing up, they saw that, you know, she had very deep compassion towards others when she would go around the village, you know, collecting grass for cattle and uh, uh, kind of, you know, going to school, whenever she would see people suffering, she just couldn't stay away. So if it may be, you know, it could be sometimes an old couple, you know, not having anybody to take care of them. It could be people who were suffering because of lack of food or lack of money to buy medicines. The moment Amma would see somebody suffering, she would be there by their side, and she would do whatever she could to help them. You know, she would sometimes bring these people home. You know, give them a bath. You know, take food from the kitchen, give it to them. Or sometimes she would take money from her father's pocket or take one of her mother's jewels and give it to a family that didn't have anything. And uh, this became like a, a a habit. And her parents were a bit worried because Sama was born in a very conservative society where girls were not supposed to mingle freely with strangers. And here was their daughter who used to, you know, who had no problems even going into a stranger's home and inquiring about their well-being and bringing strangers home. So it didn't go well with them. They couldn't understand this. And uh, they thought that, you know, the best way to stop her, the best way to stop her spiritual practices and all her service is to make her work more. You know, If she works more, she will have less time for all this. So they stopped her schooling when she was at uh, in the fourth grade and uh, she had to work a lot, you know, in her house and also in the house of her grandparents, in the house of her uncles. In a day, she was working like 16 to 18 hours at that tender age, but yet somehow she found time to reach out to people and also she converted every action that she did into a spiritual practice and she could somehow connect to god with every action that she performed so all these efforts that her parents put to kind of take her away from the path did not work at all and uh, as you know time passed you know they saw these moods in her getting more and more deep and uh, though initially they had a lot of opposition slowly they also started getting some experiences in life which made them realize that you know that their daughter is is somebody you know who is so extraordinary and uh, you know who is really such a boon to society so they started understanding her more and respecting what she was doing slowly people around also kind of saw you know what they felt what they were getting in amma what they were getting in amma's presence you know the profound peace and happiness that they felt so there were many people who had an interest in the spiritual path they also found in amma a guide who could answer their questions you know who could kind of uh, dispel their doubts and they saw amma as really a master who could guide them so there was a community that started forming around her And slowly as time passed, you know, the word spread more and more. People started flocking to really feel that peace and happiness, you know, around Amma. And uh, that's how the organization, in fact, started. And as the organization grew, of course, Amma started taking up the different humanitarian projects, you know, that, that she is leading now. And one by one, you know, she started kind of, you know, taking up things in society where she could kind of contribute in a big way. And today, you know, the whole organization has taken the form of a worldwide charitable mission. It's called as Embracing the World, which is a global network of all the humanitarian initiatives that have been, led, that have been initiated by Amma. And millions and millions of people around the world are being benefited by her presence through all her projects. She also travels around the world, spreading the message of love and compassion. She meets people individually. And you know, gives talks, gives them the advice on how to lead one's life in a way that you can be peaceful and happy amidst all the, you know, chaos and suffering in life. And all this goes on, and she meets each and every one individually as well. And uh, you know, along with it, these charities also are kind of blossoming in nearly every continent in the world. So, Amma's life is something that is totally an offering to suffering humanity. And, you know, her uh, Her whole, you know, it, her whole life is meant, you know, it's, I've been with her for 25 years now and uh, never seen her take a day's vacation, this 25 years. It's been totally, you know, an offering to helping society, helping the poor and the needy
0: mentioned there about turning action into a spiritual practice. Yeah. What, what do you mean by this, butter?
1: Well, uh, uh, when you say action into a spiritual practice, basically, you know, you can do an action, you know, very mechanically without really being present in the action. Uh, most of the people do it that way. You know, you sometimes don't like the work that you do. And uh, you do it grudgingly, you do it mechanically without really being present there. But Amma says when you bring in love into your action, the same action can be done in a stress-free way. You know, it becomes a joy doing that action. So one of the ways that she always recommends is to find a higher purpose to your action. You know, when you see a higher purpose to the work that you are doing, the whole way of looking at the work changes so at times you may feel that oh i'm just imagining that there is a higher purpose but that that still works because your whole attitude towards your work changes so basically when amma says you know turning an action into a worship it is basically you know changing the whole attitude behind the action like she herself mentions in her autobiography you know in her biography that uh, you know when she would work at home you know even small things would be done, she would imagine it in a very different way, like when she would be sweeping the courtyard. you know her imagination would be that the Lord may arrive today at home, so when he steps in, not even a single pebble should prick his feet, so I should do it so cleanly, so she would you know sweep the courtyard with this attitude when she would dress uh, her you know when she would make her brothers and sisters ready for school, her imagination would be that she's adorning the forms of of the Lord, you know, and kind of, you know, serving them. If a guest would arrive at home, she would imagine that this is God who has come in another form. So for her, every action was connected to God. So through our visualization and through our imagination, you know, and we can really change a lot in the way we see our work. If we can change the attitude behind our work, you know, then you can see that many times it becomes a joy doing the work and you are ready to go on, you know, for hours and hours together. You don't feel the, the stress and the tiredness. And uh, basically, it makes you want to be involved in more and more. So I think a lot of things depends really on your attitude. Because sometimes for some people, some work is really boring, you know. They hate it. They really somehow drag themselves through, through it. But for some people, the same work is so much of joy. They love it, you know. They don't feel the stress at all. It's because basically they love that thing. They love that work. While for others, they just hate it. So basically, uh, unless you bring in love and a higher purpose to your work, you never really enjoy the actions that you're doing. So imagine if we could do that in every action of ours. It would be such a joy.
0: You mentioned the word stress. In Western society, stress is a very big word in our society. Is there a way to turn action into spiritual practice? Like, how can we do that in our lives?
1: Well, even in our lives, I think it is possible if we sincerely try, and uh, we do our actions with this kind of an attitude. You know, if we could somehow, you know, kind of do our actions with love. You know, bringing in the element of love somehow into what we are doing it can really change quite a lot for example a person is man in a manufacturing business you know uh, or say in a garment industry you know it can be a very mechanical work you know doing the job but if he feels that okay you know this product that's going through my hand you know when it reaches the customer you know, when he opens it he should be happy seeing the, the the you know the end product he should be happy seeing the thing that he bought you know paying money that would make him so happy So when you think of your work that way, it gives you a higher purpose to it. So you not only do it with love, you also do it with a lot of efficiency. You know, you're totally into the work. And you're not just saying that, oh my God, you know, I have to do these these many sets of things. But when you think of it that, oh, today I'm making 50 people happy because maybe I'm finishing 50 products. And, you know, 50 people who buy them are going to be so happy seeing it it changes the whole way you look at your action. So I think bringing in love changes a lot and also being present in the moment, saying that, you know, I take every moment as it comes. I'm doing it, I'm going to do it with alertness and awareness. I'm not letting my mind be going around here and there as I'm doing this because that's not going to help me in any way. Let me do what I have in hand in the best and the perfect way. Even if it's a very trivial thing, you know, I should be somebody who's the best in it even if it's doing gardening you know i would prefer to be the best gardener you know ever in uh, ever known to the world so let me do it with that attitude so that makes you more and more present in the moment and that changes the whole way you look at life so i feel love and awareness is so very important you know and if you can bring that in your daily actions then even the most simplest action can be turned into into a great action. And such actions always leave a mark, you know, because there is so much of efficiency in it, there's so much of creativity in it.
0: Why do you think people in the West and maybe even in the East yeah. as well have such a hard time in actually being present in their mm-hmm. lives?
1: Well, the thing is that, you know, uh, our, our mind loves to take us either to the past or to the future. Uh, basically, if you really look at time, you know, the past and the present, the past and the future, uh, these are not really parts of time. They are parts of our mind. Because in reality, the past and the future cannot be represented. You know, you cannot bring it, right? The only thing that really exists is the present moment. So the present moment, in fact, is so small that, you know, it can only kind of have one thought in it. But the mind doesn't want to be constricted in a space like that because it doesn't remain to be a, the mind. Because mind is nothing but the flow of thoughts. It loves to jog around, it loves to walk around, so it needs a wider space. So the way it loves to do is to be in the past, to be in the future and somehow take you away from this this moment. But as you train the mind to be more and more in the present, you see that you know your whole way of looking at life your whole quality of life changes quite a lot so basically that's what you know you achieve also through your spiritual practices as you kind of go more and more into the moment you become very very efficient there are things in the past that kind of also distract us quite a lot you know things that didn't go okay things that went okay and you know we want that to happen in the future there are things from the from the past and the future, that kind of distract us all the time, you know, and asking us to go there and think more about it. It doesn't mean that you don't learn the lessons from the past, but uh, you have to be efficient when you deal with the past and the future. That is, you take the right lessons, you know, from the past, may be good or bad, you take the right lessons, but the time to implement them is the present again. So you learn from the past, but you again bring it to the to the present. You can plan for the future. You know, for example, I'm sure you know you would want to be, you know, suppose your goal is to be the best radio presenter in Cork. You know, that's a great goal to have. There is nothing wrong in it. But for that to happen, you know, your present radio shows have to be of great quality. That's how you're going to elevate yourself. So you have to bring back yourself to the present moment. So that is something that comes by awareness. You know, you have to practice continuously to bring yourself more and more into the moment and you see that as you are able to do that you know it really helps and i wouldn't say that it's just in the west it's everywhere in the world people have a problem remaining in the moment because uh, it is the survival mechanism of the mind you know the mind knows that if it remains more and more in the present it is no longer the boss you know it's going to lose its position so it would love to be in in power you know and not allow us to dictate terms to it it would always want to remain the boss so one of the ways it does is take you to the past take you to the future not allow you to be much there in the moment
0: our practice of meditation and mindfulness yeah. ways of achieving this
1: surely it helps us quite a lot you know our practices bring us more and more to the moment uh, and also i would say alertness in the present moment you know at times you You really kind of introspect yourself and see. And you see that you're not present in the action at all. So every time you catch yourself somewhere else, you bring yourself back. So all this go hand in hand, in fact. You know, like growing in awareness and spiritual practices. So whatever be the spiritual practices you do, you know, meditation or chanting of prayers or chanting of mantras, whatever it is, the goal is to grow more and more in awareness.
0: And I know you mentioned about mantras there, but yeah. like, what's the purpose behind the mantra?
1: It's the same. It is to focus the mind. See, our mind has, you know, so many distractions, and uh, there's so many sounds that occupy our mind, you know, and uh, uh, things that pull you in different directions. And what you do is you kind of replace these these voices with a particular voice, you know, the voice of the mantra or the syllables of the mantra. So when you chant the mantra, basically you are kind of substituting these thoughts with, you know, with one thought. And slowly this this flowing of the mind in different directions, you know, it slowly kind of subsides. And, you know, it kind of flows in one direction. So as you go deeper into the practice, you know, it doesn't, there's only one thought in the mind, which is, you know, which is the mantra. So slowly it becomes, makes the mind more focused. It makes the mind more one-pointed. So the goal of the mantra is just this, to make the mind focus, one-pointed and pure, so that it just flows in one direction. And as you do it deeper and, you know, as you do it regularly in a deeper way, you see that, you know, the, the flowing of the mind becomes less in different directions. And uh, such a mind doesn't really remain a mind. You know, if there's only one tree in a place, you don't call it a forest. You know, if there's one drop somewhere, you don't call it a river. It's it's millions of drops that together constitute a river or a stream. Uh, it's thousands of trees that together form a forest. So that's how our mind is. It's just a flow of thoughts, you know. So when you kind of curtail it to one thought, somehow it doesn't really remain the mind, you know. Of course, you may say that still there is one. And you can go beyond that also. But it restricts, you know, it kind of reduces the strength of the mind, the the disobedient mind quite a lot, so the, uh, the practice of mantra is this you know to make your mind focused in one point.
0: In the West moment, like mindfulness is a big buzzword, yes. obviously just meditation as well. Yeah. but like what's the difference between meditation and mindfulness?
1: In reality, there is no difference. basically, it's different ways of putting it. Uh, mindfulness is also a practice of awareness. You are aware of your you know, your thought your actions, your words that you speak. So you kind of filter everything that you think, you say, you do. So you are observing yourself. Meditation is also the same, where you kind of, you know, you become a witness to your own thoughts. You kind of observe yourself, you know, from a distance. You observe your mind from a distance. Basically, I feel, you know, these are just different terminology is used as per the traditions you know it's mindfulness came more from the buddhist tradition and the same thing has been explained as dhyana as meditation in the indian tradition the eastern tradition so uh, basically it is just you know just the different names used for the same thing i don't see it much of a difference because uh, people may say okay in meditation you are seated with your Eyes closed, you know, you're seated in one place. That's one form of meditation. But, you know, meditation can be in different ways. You can be doing an action and yet be meditating. You know, when you're doing it with awareness, which is not different from what mindfulness teaches you. So I think it's just the different ways of, of putting the same thing.
0: And what's the goal behind meditation?
1: The goal behind meditation is is purifying the mind and making it, you know, fit for you know, the for the knowledge of who you are in reality. In fact, uh, that's what meditation really does. You know, it really makes your mind more and more subtle. So that finally, you know, you realize that you're not just this limited entity. You know, in fact, you know, you are the divine. You know, you, you are the embodiment of supreme consciousness. At present, our identification is just to the body, to our mind, to our intellect, to the ego so we have a very you know a very different idea of who we are we think we are limited in love we are limited in strength we are limited in you know in things that we can achieve but as you meditate more and more and you go deeper into you you know you get closer to the essence of who you are and you realize that you know in fact you are the embodiment of supreme power and supreme love and there is nothing that is different from you in fact there is just that oneness in the whole of creation. There is nothing other than you. It takes you to that realization. So meditation prepares the mind to take that leap, you know, into that state of merging with the with the supreme consciousness.
0: And I do you think meditation is the answer for people's unhappiness?
1: It is. In fact, you know, if you can practice that in your everyday life, you can really see it for yourself, you know, as time passes you see the change happening in you and uh, you know at present we hardly give ourselves any time you know to kind of contemplate uh, on how the journey of life is going we are so busy with so many things you know and just running at hectic speed from one activity to the other it would really change a lot if people can decide to spend some time where they are not going to be running but going to just be sitting and You know, trying to take up the inner journey. I always say this, you know, right from childhood, we have been told by our parents and our teachers that don't just sit, do something, you know. We got so accustomed to it that uh, we also need to sometimes put it in the reverse, you know. Don't just do something, sit. We have to sit, look deep within, contemplate and, you know, also find that inner stillness and stability the thing is as we go closer to the center you know as we get more and more centered inside you would see that you know the whole way of you know looking at life changes your actions also become much more meaningful much more creative it really changes a lot in life many people have the feeling that you know if you start practicing meditation you start doing spiritual practices then you don't fit into the world it's just a wrong you know it's just a wrong notion In fact, I would say it makes you more and more efficient in the world. It makes you respond to situations rather than react. It makes you more and more mature in your relationships. So it makes you grow as an individual quite a lot. You know, you really become a true human being. Nowadays, people use the concept, you know, they say, oh, I'm just a human being. What does that mean? You know, you have to think that a human being is somebody who is full of weakness and frailties. That's how sometimes this term is used. But a true human being is somebody who realizes that, you know, I have this, this treasure house of strength inside me. I have love inside me. And I can use it for my own welfare and also for the good of others.
0: Is the goal behind spirituality, is it to be more happier and peaceful in one's life, is it?
1: Yes, spirituality is basically, you know, the whole meaning is to realize that, you know, you are not just this limited entity. Your true nature is that consciousness, you know, is that true spirit, which is, you know, nothing but, but the God consciousness or the divine consciousness. So as you bring that more and more in life, you know, you kind of grow in happiness like anything. So as people practice it or understand it more and more, life takes a very different turn. It makes them really more and more peaceful in life. You know? Whatever happens, however difficult be the situations, yet you, know, you are able to face it without losing your mental strength. You are able to kind of you know, uh, see through it without really crumbling down. You know, nowadays in the world, you can see people even the smallest pressures become too much for them to handle. They don't have the mental strength to do that. But as you understand spirituality, you become more and more equanimous to situations, and you are able to kind of you know, you are able to handle such uh, situations, such pressure situations in a much better way without really losing yourself or without losing hope and strength. And uh, it really helps you know tremendously and but people have to practice it and it's something that they will feel it for themselves i always say you know the initial phase is the most tricky thing you know to keep up the practice to really be able to kind of see through it because when you start doing sometimes you may just imagine that oh in 2 days everything is going to change it's not that quick it takes a while you know you just have to have the perseverance to Practice it for a few days or for a few months, and you can if you really introspect and see, you see the changes that happen inside you. and once you get the taste of it, then you know you will you know not leave it for anything. you know you would just want to kind of make it a priority in your life. So I think it, it really helps you know quite a lot, and I really feel it's not something that's just meant for a few people. There's something that really needs to be, you know, accepted universally for the good of everything. I'm always saying there are two kinds of education. She says there's education for living and education of life. Education for living is getting a degree, you know, going for higher studies, getting a job, taking care of your family. That is important in one way. But education of life is also important. You know, it teaches you about realities of life. What is the purpose of this? this birth that you have you know what are your capacities how can i be mature with my emotions you know how do i go beyond the limitations that i have and realize this this uh, strength and love that i carry inside me this knowledge is also important so unless this knowledge is also blended with the other knowledge you know our education never becomes complete so it is important to know what spirituality is if our goal is peace and happiness. And I think that's the goal of every human being. Behind every action, that's the goal, you know, to be peaceful and happy. Sometimes we search for it in the wrong place.
0: One thing I noticed when I was was in India last year that even the very, say, extremely poor people were very happy. Mm -hmm. However, like in the West, like there's many people who are very rich and say famous and they can at times be very, very unhappy. (laughs) So why do you think this is?
1: Well, uh, I always say that, you know, you see suffering, you know, amongst the rich and the, and the poor. And uh, the only difference is that the rich can choose how to suffer. <laughs> the poor have no choice, but the rich can choose how to suffer. Basically, it's, it's the difference the way you look at things, you know. Like you can see that, you know, whatever you have externally, you know, it doesn't really fulfill the sense of lack in you. You know, you may always think that a oh, little more, and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. It just shows you that it is the nature of the world. You know, nothing external can really make you totally happy and content. The source of real happiness and contentment is inside us. And unless you find that, whatever you have externally, it will only lead you to to more and more, you know, wanting to add to it. They call it the The 99 club, you know, if you have 99 euros, you think 100 would make you happy, if you have 9.99 you would think 1000 would make you happy it just goes on and on it just leads to more and more craving a little more and I'm going to be happy so this just goes on and on that's why, you know, you see that maybe so, I wouldn't say every rich person is like that because there are people who have a very good understanding and they are able to manage their wealth and resources in the right way but unless you have this kind of an understanding that real happiness is inside me you know and i shouldn't just be you know depending on it in the external world because the external world is changing all the time so you are kind of expecting happiness from a thing or a person who is changing every moment our bodies are changing our minds are changing our decisions are changing everything is in a moment of change like the a great philosopher Heraclitus says, "You never step into the same river twice. And every time you step into a river, the waters are different. So everything is in a process of change, and we are trying to find happiness in this changing world. But you know, you can never do that. It would be like dancing on a stage that's shaking all the time. So the real way to find happiness is also to kind of look within." and say that it's inside of course our external needs are important I'm not saying that you know we shouldn't have money or we shouldn't have needs and it is important to kind of you know satisfy our needs but at the same time to have this understanding that just by adding on more and more it's not going to be make, make me happy in any way I need to be content and I need to search for it in the right place You know, and also to understand that happiness is also in giving, in sharing so, once this understanding comes, then you see that the whole way you look at life changes in India, of course, we have had a very rich spiritual tradition. There is a lot of need you know there is the need of food clothing and shelter you know, and a lot of people suffer because of that and I really feel that all these needs need to be looked after because you cannot advise spirituality to a hungry person, you know his needs are more you know you have to take care of his needs first, but giving that along with the other needs, you know, uh, with the other things is also important. To give them the the food, to give them clothing, to give them shelter, to give them the material needs that they need for survival. But at the same time, also teaching them how to be happy and content in life. Because if that other part is missing, then how much ever you have, you're not really going to be happy. So uh, I feel that's the thing because, you know, people... Re- Think that real happiness lies in, you know, in adding more and more to you. But real happiness never lies there. You know, it's it's somewhere deep inside you, and you search for it in the wrong direction.
0: Now you heard before that saying that all unhappiness is a result of comparisons. Like, yeah. do you think this is true?
1: It is true. We compare quite a lot, and uh, that leads to a lot of problems. You know, it's like. Uh, you know, you you talk to a person and, you know, he has a dream of buying a, a car which would cost him these many thousands of euros and you see him working hard to get the car. The day he gets the car, he's so happy. You know, he's driving around, he may invite his friends for a ride and things. But Maybe after a few months, you know, you see the same person a bit desperate, a bit frustrated and you ask him, you know, what happened? And he might say, yo, my neighbor has... Uh, you know, a better model than mine, or has a better car than mine. So when I look at my neighbor's car, my car makes me look, makes me feel so sad. So the same car that was cause, causing happiness became the cause of sorrow after a while. So we do it all the time. You know, we kind of keep comparing ourselves with others, and you know, it really leads to a lot of unhappiness in life. You know, we are all very unique in God's creation. We don't really need to fall into this comparison trap. You know, we all have enough that God has given us. We just need to be focused on it. And if you can do that, you know, life becomes a beautiful journey because, you know, things that I am good at, maybe, you know, you may not be able to do that. Things that you can do, I may not be able to do that. So there is a lot of diversity in this world. You know, it's not that everybody can do the same things. So to enjoy your talents, your capacities, you Use it in the best way, it makes you so happy rather than comparing it with somebody. I always tell students, you know, when you're 18, you're always thinking of what others are thinking about you. Isn't it? You know, you see it a lot in youngsters, you know, you're always thinking, what is he thinking about me or what is she thinking about me. By the time you're 40, you know, you don't give a darn to what others are thinking about you. You're so busy with your own thing, you just go ahead. By the time you're 60, you realize that nobody has been thinking about you at all. <laughs> so we don't need to wait till 60 to get there. You know? So this comparison trap is again something that really puts you into a lot of unhappiness. We just need to be aware of it and say that I'm not doing this. My life is unique. You know, it's a gift from God. You know, And I, I'm not going to compare this gift with somebody. It's a gift of love. And I'm not going to say that this gift is better than the other. You know, we, we are all unique in God's creation. Let us enjoy our uniqueness. Let us celebrate our uniqueness.
0: And what is love?
1: Well, that's the that's the thing that uh, can only be experienced and can never be put in word. You know, in India, we have a beautiful saying that, you know, one who has really deciphered what love is has become love. You know, they say that in the way you write it in the Indian, you know, in the Devanagari script. It's it's two and a half letters. That half letter is never complete. So they say that is something that has to be experienced. Love is nothing but our true nature. Love is nothing but acceptance. Love is nothing but fulfillment. It's nothing but compassion. It can be put in different words. But finally it is experience.
0: What stops us from loving unconditionally?
1: What really stops us from loving unconditionally is our selfishness. You know, basically... uh, the thought that I and mine, you know, are so important and everything else comes later. That is what really kind of, you know, makes us keep things for ourselves and not kind of allow ourselves to flow towards others. It's basically the thought that, you know, if I kind of give this or if I share this or if I express this, you know, I am becoming a little lesser you know in in my you know in my uh, in the quantity that i i really have it's a very wrong thought you know it's basically a, our again our ego our selfishness that makes us think that way basically as we think that you know getting more and more for ourselves will make us happy you know you see that you know always there is some kind of a conditionality in the love that you express because even if I give you love you know I expect this this and this in in return you know but in true love you realize that you know there is no such conditions you just love for the sake of loving you are not expecting anything you know from from me in return you are just giving your love because you know that's what makes you happy and that's what is your nature so To rise up to that level is, of course, a great challenge. You know, it doesn't come easily. You have to kind of somehow have the right understanding to to grow. At present, our circles of love and compassion are very, very constricted. You know, maybe towards, of course, towards us the most. And then maybe towards our near and dear ones. Slowly we have to make it grow. It has to grow towards, you know, our neighbors, towards society towards the country towards the whole world it just has to encom- encompass the whole creation it takes a while basically as you know martin buber puts it you know he says that initially the love is between i and it you know where you don't see the other person as a, really as a human being you see it as an object he puts it as i and it you know and uh, he says this is like the love that you see in the world quite a lot people use others you know, just for their own thing. And once they feel that this person cannot give me any more, then just like an object, you know, once you've used it and it's no longer useful, you just, you know, throw it away. So that kind of love is something that we see a lot in the world. The second kind of love is between, you know, I and you, he says, Elena, where it's like uh, you have love for the other, but it's kind of a give and take thing. I will give you love, but in return I also need this, this and this. So, this love is also, this love is much better than the first kind, you know, between I and it. But, it also has a lot of limitations to it. You know, it's because, again, there is I and there is you. You know, there are two very distinct entities. Spiritual masters take it to a different realm. They say the third kind of love is not I, but you. That's a very pure kind of love, where I don't think much about myself. You know, I just think about you. I'm just giving. So when two people have that attitude, it becomes beautiful, the relationship. Not I, but you. But they also say there's a highest kind of love, which is not I, not you. That is the state where this I and you, you know, have kind of the, the identification to the I and you have completely kind of been transcended and you realize that there is just oneness so that is the state where you know uh, true mahatmas they really operate because they don't see anything as different from them you know they see just themselves in everything so as a result of which you know you just flow you know when jesus says love your neighbor as yourself you know he is pointing out to this oneness you see yourself in the neighbor that's when that love becomes complete so it is that state of oneness that leads to total love, you know till then, of course, there is a lot of selfishness that you
0: see in love and is that enlightenment is it
1: enlightenment is nothing but understanding that you know that uh, my true nature is love, my na- true nature is that consciousness there is nothing other than other than me. in fact, everything in this creation is permeated with that same consciousness that is enlightenment where you kind of. Uh, enlighten yourself to a very different realm. It's not something that happens from outside. People may kind of you know imagine it as something that comes from the sky and descends in you. These are just things that artists do, you know, sometimes to give an idea as to how these things may can be presented. It's all inside us. It's just a journey of finding it right inside.
0: And how do you know if you're enlightened or not?
1: The way you know is you become an ocean of peace and happiness the way you look at the world it's not that the world disappears or you know you are taken to a different world the way you look at the world completely changes you know you you are so peaceful no situation disturbs you you become an embodiment of of love and compassion you know and others also start feeling it as they kind of come in company with you they also experience it more and more and your mind just becomes like you know like an ocean of bliss. There is no ripples there. It's just, you know, it's just calm. It's just peaceful inside. Nothing can disturb such a person. This experience automatically, you know, of course, there is no person to say, I am realized there, you know, because you have become one with it. There is no identity as such. So... uh, It's always dangerous when somebody says, I am a realized person, you know, because he is somehow maintaining still the identity that I am different from the other. In fact, once you realize, you know, you don't need to make any claims. That's what you see with true masters. They never make any claims.
0: What's the biggest lesson you've learned in spirituality in your own life?
1: (laughs) Well, there have been only lessons that I have learned from spirituality. Basically, you know, spirituality is something that has taught me you know so much about myself when I started my life, you know and as I grew up, I always felt I was somebody who was limited by this name, by the position you know by by my strength, by my weakness, and all these things, and spirituality, as I understood more and more, you know, I started understanding that there are so many aspects to me that I don't know at all, you know in fact, you know I have this strength and this love inside me, which I feel was lacking totally, and I have to find it somewhere else, I realized it more and more that, you know, I just have to tap into myself, and it is there for me to to experience. And, uh, you know, it has also taught me to kind of uh, take every situation as a a stepping stone, every experience as a stepping stone, because, you know, life conveys to us lessons all the time and there is something in it for us to learn and to so that we can become more mature in life but sometimes we don't take these lessons properly you know i always say life is a very unique teacher it always gives us the a, the exams first and the lessons later it is very different from the normal university where you get the lessons first and the exams later but life always gives us the lesson the exams first and the lessons later but every every lesson that you learn from it, you know, has so much to kind of uh, contribute towards your growth and maturity. So spirituality has also taught me how to see life, you know, you know, with a very different perspective. Whatever be the situation or experience that you go that you go through, you know, you, if you really can use it in the right way, it can all lead towards your growth. Nothing can stop you. So. It has taught me that there are no mistakes but only lessons in in life. Also, it has taught me that, you know, real happiness is in giving and real happiness is in never holding things, you know. It is always in giving. The more you give, you know, the more you are happy. know, Amma puts it beautifully. She says, you know, uh, it is... Our hearts are like a parachute. You know, she says it's very dangerous if it does not open. So... You know, unless our heart opens, you know, it never kind of gives you the true it never makes you truly happy in life. There have only been lessons that I have learned in spirituality.
0: I know your tour like, in Ireland is celebrate your life. Isn't that the yeah. name? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people in Ireland at the moment are going through like maybe a challenging time in regard yeah. to an economic point of view, yeah. but how can we apply that or that kind of celebration even when things aren't going so well in our lives?
1: i can really you know understand and see that in ireland you know with the economic recession and you know all the things that have happened in the last few years you know many people are really struggling in life and sometimes you know they feel a kind of a lack of hope a lack of strength and uh, one of the ways you know of kind of encountering it is to somehow be able to keep up the mental strength to keep up the focus and uh, not lose the optimism in life so i basically you know discuss in these talks of uh, different situations in life i talk about people who maybe in the in the most difficult situations but at the same time you know just by the way they look at life you know they have decided that they are not going to kind of suffer They are going to celebrate life, even though they are in this difficult situation. They are going to celebrate their existence. On the other hand, you also have people who have everything, you know, so-called material abundance, but still, you know, can never celebrate life. You know, they kind of moan quite a lot about their existence. So basically, it may not really depend on the external conditions totally. I can understand that external conditions contribute quite a lot. But it doesn't depend on that totally. See, we cannot control everything that happens to us. But we can surely control things that happen inside us. And that's what spirituality really teaches you. You you may not be able to change the situation externally straight away. But you can surely change the way you look at it, the way you accept it. So in my talk, I talk about, you know, things as to how attitude is so important, you know. The way you look at a situation and you learn from it, if you have the right attitude, then you know you may be going through you know a lot of pain, but you don't suffer, as the saying goes, you know that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So if that has to happen, you know our attitude has to be right. I also talk about being a witness in life, you know being a witness to the roles that you play. And not kind of, you know, become too identified to it. When you can see your role distinctly, and not see, you know, you and the role to be one, then you know it kind of makes you much more efficient in dealing with with crisis. The third thing I also talk about is cultivating the the way of letting go. You know, letting go hurt sentiments, letting go wrong kind of attachments, letting go the the strong likes and dislikes. And the fourth thing I kind of discuss about is also not to forget the small things in life that bring us so much joy and which all add up to make life a celebration. So I feel these are things that, you know, that each person you know, can contemplate and find a lot for himself or herself. Of course, these are things that have been advised to us by great masters of all traditions. And uh, we just need to sometimes reflect on it a little more, especially in such situations.
0: I know you've spent a lot of time teaching in in the West, brother. What would you see as the biggest lesson that we need to learn in the West?
1: Well, uh, I would say that uh, one thing that I've been observing quite a lot uh, in in the West is uh, people sometimes kind of, you know, degrading themselves quite a lot putting themselves down quite a lot and this leads to a lot of of suffering in life and uh, you know my advice would be you know that would be some that should be something that we should surely avoid you know never degrade yourself never look down upon yourself and this kind of feeling that i am inferior you know to others and things like that it kind of it makes life sometimes you know really so difficult Uh, as you know Eleanor Roosevelt puts it she says that uh, nobody can make you feel inferior without your permission so you know my advice would be that let us not do that you know we are all unique we are all you know the representatives or embodiments of, of God or the supreme consciousness so let us not kind of put ourselves down in any way let us rise up to our True worth, and let us not kind of allow the past to weigh on us, you know, in a way that it doesn't allow us to kind of grow. If I have a chance of saying a second thing, I would say that one thing that I feel that would change a lot, you know, in the lives of people is if, you know, they come out of their lives and kind of share it more with others rather than living as isolated islands you know because being from the east that's one great thing i see you know in the west sometimes you see people tend to live like isolated islets but you know when you kind of live like beads on a chain you know it makes life much more simpler and much more happier when you can share your life with others when you have a community feeling and you're know you not just living for yourself but you're also kind of sharing it with others, then however difficult the situation be, you know, life becomes a joyful experience because, you know, you, you live as a community, you live as a whole and that really changes also quite a lot and that's something that for me, you know I felt that, you know, could change I mean, there are countries that are very different, you know, I mean, I've had beautiful experience of Irish families getting together and yeah, I really enjoyed that in Ireland and countries like Italy, but there are countries where sometimes I feel there is a lot of alienation, a lot of isolation. And loneliness is also a big challenge in the West. I feel people are sometimes too lonely and uh, they really don't know where to go to and uh, they don't kind of, you know, have that feeling that this is a person whom I can go and kind of unburden myself. I think... For this, we all have a responsibility. We need to look around us, you know, and kind of at least put an effort to reach out to such people and see in any way that we can help them. It may be a few words or it may be a small gesture or a kind look. You know, we can really kind of bring about a lot of change in their lives. Uh, That is something I see a lot of people suffering from, you know, not knowing, you know, where to go not feeling a sense of belonging and uh, this really kind of makes so many people you know feel so so sad in life and you know kind of leads them to a state of hopelessness i think that is also something that we need to awaken to i always think you know whenever there is a natural disaster happening like the earthquake in nepal happened or the tsunami happened in japan in the floods in philippines or the tsunami in india it was beautiful to see the whole world responding as one, you know, as one community. You know, the whole world, you know, kind of tried to reach out in whatever way they could to help the people. But the same way, there are such tsunamis happening around us all the time, in families around us, you know, in people around us, who may be looking for help, you know, who may be, you know, waiting for a kind gesture from our part. We have to somehow. You know, rise up to that occasion as well to also kind of pay heed to these small disasters that are happening around us all the time. That can really, you know, change the life in society quite a lot.
0: Was what's Amma's fundamental message to the world from your years of being with her?
1: Her fundamental message is love and compassion. You know, and uh, she always stresses that these are qualities that should be priorities in our life. And uh, we need to, you know, be loving, be compassionate, and also realize that, you know, that I am love. You know, I am compassion. That is my true nature. As I said earlier, you know, love and compassion become complete in the vision of oneness. That is, when you realize who you are, then you realize that, there is unity in the whole of creation. And once you realize unity, love and compassion becomes a, a natural flow. You know, they, you don't have to be loving and compassionate. You, have, you don't have to act loving and compassionate. It just becomes you because it just starts flowing through you. So basically her message is love and compassion. And she says, we also need to put in efforts to know who we are in reality. Which will make this love and compassionate so natural, and as more and more people realize this, you know, it would be so beautiful on this planet.
0: It's great, brother. Thank you very much. And as was well, finally, if people want to find out more about Amma's work, yeah. how can they do it?
1: They could surely, you know, log on to our websites. We have uh, websites uh, in every country that we are functioning. We also have, you know, international websites called as Embracing the World dot org and we also have you know the website in India which is called as amritapuri.org we have a website in, in Ireland which is called as ammaireland.org so through different you know sources like this they can learn a lot about Amma's work her life and her mission and I would also like to say that Amma comes to Ireland you know once in two years. Uh, unfortunately this year is the turn of other countries that she kind of, you know, sometimes uh, takes turns with Ireland. So she will be in Dublin in 2016. And uh, this year, I think the closest place is London. So if people would want to kind of visit her, they are most welcome. Amma meets each and every person coming to her. You know, Thousands of people come to her daily. She meets each and every one, gives them a hug, listens to what they have to say, gives them guidance, makes them sit near her. There are days when she sits 22-24 hours at a stretch. She doesn't get up until she has met the last person. So you can surely come and experience her for yourself. And you are not just seeing her from a distance, you are also meeting her personally. Also in Amma's presence, there is no feeling of religion or nationality or language. The only thing that you feel in her presence is that pure love and that profound peace. This love has changed so many lives in the world. And it could also mean a lot to you as well. I never found anybody so accessible in this world like Hama. you know. You here is somebody whom you can come and relate to straight away. And you don't really need an appointment for that. And she's all the time available for you know, for people who want to see her. So this is something that, you know, you can come and experience for yourself. It is very hard to exper- explain how that experience is going to be. You no, know, because words really fall short it's something that you have to experience for yourself just as you asked me what is love you know you just can remain silent and just smile you know that's the experience because it's an inner experience so that is the same thing with amma's presence so those who would like to meet her can really come and meet her for themselves or if you are happening if you happen to travel in europe or any other parts of the world or you happen to come to India and Amma is there, you're most welcome to come and see her.
0: That's great. Thanks very much, Brother. Thank Sh- you
1: very much. Thank you very much for having me on this show. It has been a pleasure talking to, to you.
0: Same to you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you.